recorded live. I mean, it is possible, isn't it, Doug? It is possible that those were paid people, most definitely. And, yeah. and of course, uh, of course, I guess one of the things that I heard was that uh, the group that was there to oppose the Robert E. Lee uh, statute removal opposers, uh, those people were just recently donating to the Clinton campaign again. So, so they're, uh, you know, they're. They're tied hip and joint, or I forget how it was. She had made some donation to them, or I don't guess I don't remember how that was. But I just kind of heard, I just kind of heard all this in the last, you know, 20 minutes. I was driving home and I was running by this guy's house to look at his roof, and so I, I was uh, kind of waiting to hear in a text from him. And so when that came through, I kind of lost my attention span there to the radio, but. But uh, so that was good news, I guess, to hear that he'd taken them on today, that press score, uh, and uh, pushed back on them. And so, and 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 he also in his soundbite, he said, "What are you people suggesting?" He said, "Are you suggesting we?" Uh, I guess Al Sharpen suggested that that the uh, Jefferson Monument be tore down. And. Uh, uh- no, that was the Washington Monument. Yeah. No, the Jefferson, the Jefferson. But somebody else suggested, well, what are you going to do? You're going to tear down the Washington, uh, maybe Washington too, because I guess he had some slaves as well. So, um, but see, that's the whole thing. If their end game is to tear down any vestige of of any remembrance of this time in history called slavery in America, what's the end game? Um, is it is tearing those those symbols down? Is that going to make their lives change? You know what what is going to make their lives different? And I guess in their minds, they tear down all these vestiges, and in the process of time, um, we have no knowledge of it as a people, and so therefore we uh, we become. You know, it just occurred to me that think about the days of Egypt. These people come over by their own free will to Egypt or at least by uh, the blessing of of the Pharaoh and his right-hand man, Joseph, and Abraham's seed comes over. And uh, in the process of time, they've lost all vestiges of their history, pretty much. They've lost, and they completely succumb to the power of the Egyptian bond men. And essentially, that's what happens in, in servitude and slavery is, is you pretty much try to tear down any vestiges of their, of their prior knowledge. Now, you may still need to have people in positions in those tribes to function and carry out functions because they're familiar with their people and so forth. And that's why the Daniels and and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednegoes become useful, but they still are trying to mold them into the the Babylonian, uh, you know, system, if you will. 
but Daniel was one of those who kept it close to the vest and remembered and kept in remembrance who he was and and where he was from and and uh what the greater plan would be as this period of time passed over so I don't know just uh they want to they want to wash all vestiges of our history good bad or indifferent out and in the process of time we will as a people become completely subservient and obedient to the will of these people and they will do what they will do exactly what they've been doing requiring us to work put the bricks together and they will prosper and benefit from it because well, they won't I do have some good news. Yeah, what's the good news? Um, let me locate it. It'll take me just a second here. Okay, are you ready? I'm ready. Psalms 107. I think I gave you an incorrect scripture in Psalms. Did I give you Psalms 105? Uh, yeah. It, yeah. Uh, I think it was supposed to be 104. Um, I don't have my notes here that I kind of thought of that morning, but uh, anyhow, 107. Yes. Probably read 105 and asked yourself, what in the world is he talking about? Yeah, probably. <laughs> All right, I'll I'm give, in 107. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the adversary. The adversary. And I think, and this is just my opinion, that all these... uh all these where they allude to the adversary is that same spirit of Cain. It's the adversary to God Almighty or the reprobate. Um, okay. Uh, he has redeemed them from the hand of the adversary and gathered from the lands east from the west, from the north, from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a desert region. They did not find a way to inhabit the city. They were hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them out of their distress. He led them also by a straight way to go into an inhabited city. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness, for his wonders to the sons of men, for he has satisfied the thirsty soul. And the hungry soul he has filled with what is good. There were those who dwelt in the darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in misery and chains, because they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore he humbled their heart with labor. They stumbled and there was none to help, and they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. 
And he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death. Broke their bands apart. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. For he has shattered gates of bronze and cut bars of iron asunder. Fools, because of their rebellious way and because of their iniquities, were afflicted. Their soul abhorred all kinds of food. And they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them out of their distresses. Uh, That's the second time that we see that. I'm going to skip over to verse 38. And he brought them out of their distresses. Um, uh, Verse 20, he delivered them from their destructions. Um, there's a constant um, back and forth of these people and you know what I read you the wrong one Let oh, me I go like back. It. Go back I to like 106, uh, verse 40. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people, and he abhorred his inheritance. Then he gave them into the hand of the nations, and those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies also oppressed them. And they were subdued under their power. Many times he would deliver them. They, however, were rebellious in their counsel and so sank down in their iniquity. Nevertheless, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry, and he remembered his covenant for their sake and relented according to the greatness of his loving kindness. He also made them objects of compassion in the presence of all their captors. Save us, O Lord, our God, and gather us from among the nations to give thanks to thy holy name and glory in thy praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting even to everlasting, and let all the people say amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, I was thinking of America Uh, Verse 42, their enemies oppressed them. Uh, Verse 41, he gave them unto the hand of the nations. Doesn't that kind of seem like what we're going through? It does. Um, Absolutely. You know, two things that kind of jumped out at me, just like we were talking earlier, is is, uh, see – their enemies also oppressed them, and they were brought into subjection under their hand. And this is exactly what Trump was up against today. He was brought under subjection under their hand. Now, also, imagine being a people that says, you know, we are God's chosen people. And they go around, just as the scripture says, he says, he made them also to be pitied of all those that carried them captives. Well, isn't it interesting how those who claim God's chosen people, this 
uh, Jewish uh, people, they make themselves to be pitied by everyone around them. And so they understand these scriptures and they try to to act and react in ways in which the pity of nations is upon them. And they understand this. That's, That's my point. And so your point is is showing us that here in all of God on all of the 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 violation against his command uh he turns around and and continues to uh to show them great mercy continues to hear their cries of oppression and he made them an object of compassion in the presence of all their captives. Well, we're a ways from that, though, aren't we? Yeah. Because they don't, they don't pity us at all. But no. the, Jews, the Jews have made the nations believe that they are to be pitied. I mean, look at the job they have done at that, and that has continued for decades. And uh, so, uh, yeah, uh, let's talk about that. What these people are doing with this uh, statement of tolerance and what's their other big word? Diversity. Diversity. Diversity, uh, what do they say? That's our strength. It's, our diversity is our strength. And um, tolerance and diversity, yeah. Okay. They, If you watch them very carefully, they don't practice either one of those things they call for. They're not tolerant of General Ely. They're not tolerant of the South. They're not tolerant of God's people, God's word. And the diversity is is only good when it tears down the people they hate. In other words, there's no minority white people in Texas, is there? No. No, but... The white people are clearly the minority if we're counting by numbers. So that whole deal's out the window, and now we have to rename it white privilege. Therefore, we can continue to rob from them and steal from them. And by the way, isn't that what a property tax is? Is theft? Yeah, well, hold on just uh, with that thought while we say a couple of welcomes. Uh, Welcome, Rich, and uh, guest four, if you have loaded a chat window, uh, we can uh, communicate with you a little bit on the chat and uh, make an introduction and uh, welcome you as as well. So uh, uh, good evening, Rich. Good evening, guys. How's it going? Very good. Good evening. Good evening. Hey, uh, Rich, uh, 
Um, I guess I've got to eat a little crow this evening, huh? Why is that? Well, Donald Trump came out and fought today. What did he say? Oh, you didn't hear that. You didn't hear it either. Well, uh, you know, yesterday he appeased the accuser. Uh, Russell and I were talking about this, is that he he went out and appeased the accusers yesterday, and uh, that didn't work out. So today um, he came out and took the scribes on one by one and asked them where, they're, uh, where they were when Obama was... Uh, was coddling people at the White House that were killing cops and stuff. So uh, he took it to him today. I, I heard about three to four minutes of audio um, uh, coming home today. Uh, I think Hannity it was on Hannity's station. And uh, uh, so it, it, he played a pretty fair chunk of it. And, boy, I, I was very, very pleased because, you know, from my conversation with you yesterday, I wasn't too happy with him. But uh, but he yeah. came back to and he kicked a little butt on those guys. And uh, Russell and I were talking about how the slanderer, the false accuser, goes and accuses and falsely, you know, accuses and slanders and so forth. And then you 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 go out there to appease those those false accusers and slanders. And it's not enough. You said it too late. You you didn't. Your heart isn't in it, or you'd have said it first. Uh, you know, it, it's endless. It goes on and on and on and on and on. And uh, today, you show said, weakness, and they come after you more. Yeah, well, and that's exactly what he did. He came. He turned around and and came after them. And you know, that's one thing about Trump that I think a lot of people missed. You know, early on, as I I heard people talking about him and everything else, is he's got that little New York fighter in him too. From what I understand of people in New York, it was always a little bit of you had to get a little scrappy to stake your claim in in New York, and you know it was it was kind of you know well, especially because it's the the most, the biggest holdout of Jews in the world. Yeah, <laughs> so so they were constantly on guard against the the oppression and the theft by the Jews around them. Huh? Yeah, he's used to it. They they've been trying to steal him and attack him and sue him and do everything he could for his whole lifetime. So he's used to those guys. Yeah, yeah. Well, he came out today, and so I didn't hear all of it or anything else or no, but uh, what the full extent of it was. But what I heard, he was he was putting it right back in their faces. So that's a good thing. In my yeah. book, guys, that, in my book, that gets an amen. So. Yeah, mine too. Amen. Need someone who can stand up and fight. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Russell didn't mean to interrupt your thoughts. Uh, no, that's okay. Uh, Russell took us to Psalms 106. We spent a little time in 107 first, and uh, then brought us to the knowledge of God's mercy and so forth in Psalms 106, where his wrath was and where his mercy was toward his people. Are you working your way to 109? Well, I guess we had 
Hadn't got there yet. Lock and load. You know, in in a one oh seven, you know, we cut short there. Um um Uh, what did we – well, let's see. You read through 17 and up to 22. Uh, then you skipped to 28, I think it was, and something else, and then we went back to 106. But uh, it's interesting there because um, in in 17 where God says, fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities are afflicted. Um, now, that statement right there um, – that's a hard one for many people to really accept. But he says, fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, they are afflicted. See, this nation today does not look at their transgressions or their iniquities as being the reason for their affliction. They just pretty much think it's the, you know, it's the, it's the laugh or, you know, whatever. And, uh, and it's, it's, it's the, it's the Muslims, you know, uh, it's the Jews, but they rarely stop to consider God says they're fools because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, they are afflicted. Their soul abhors all manner of meat. They draw near unto the gates of death. They cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saves them out of their distresses. He sent his word, and he healed them, delivered them from their destruction. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. And let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. Wow. David had a way of conveying it very clearly. You know, what we're experiencing in this nation is is the root of this passage right here, or this passage is the root or and and our people are ignorant and blind to their identity. They are ignorant and blind to their mission, their kingdom, duty, and responsibility. And I dare say, and I I really do believe it, the day that those people do wake up to their commission, to their kingdom calling, and to their biblical identity, um, I don't believe that there will be too much problem in the land for rooting out they, the false accusers, and they which distress them. 
Now, that's not saying they may not need the help of God. But it would be a glorious day in the kingdom when they understood their commission and their calling. So we we sit here today as a people. It's just like the whole thing that we've been kind of talking about, Russell, with the law and so forth, is, is that's where we're at. See, the law of man said that you have the freedom of speech. But what does God's law say about the freedom of speech? Well, I'll tell you, and I'll just paraphrase it. You don't have any free speech. If that free speech is contrary to God and his commands. Now let me explain just briefly. You have no free speech to curse the ever-living God. But in America, you have the freedom of speech to curse the ever-living God. Are you with me so far? Yeah. Well, you you have the freedom to curse him wherever you want, here or not. It's the ramifications of cursing him that you bring upon yourself, right? Well, then you don't don't have the freedom to do it unless, of course, death is your choice. But the point clearly taken is that, yes, uh, you know, you're you're free to do... Didn't Job tell him to curse God and die? Absolutely, but Job had the sense to know that you don't curse God. And he knew that that was not within the prerogative of his uh, his divine commands to to violate that. But yeah, you can curse him, but the ramifications are are uh, are dire. And yeah, so yeah. today, today we yeah. have people. Today we have people who go around and do these protests and stuff because they have the freedom of speech. Well, question is, is that freedom of speech uh, a, upon a biblical foundation or not? So it, it really does have a way of getting you to think about getting your mind in line with God's mind. And you can see the error of our ways. You can see the transgression. You can see exactly what this scripture says. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their inequities, are they afflicted. I think I was reading Jeremiah this morning that that's what brought the house of Israel to be totally captured and uh, dragged out of the land forever. Tell me this. Uh, I've been looking for this definition. Now I want you to. I want to read you the definition, and you tell me today what modern group would you have to put this title on? Okay. Okay. Uh, the English word, I'll just read it, devil, in the 8th century via Latin diabolus, from the Greek diabolus, which meant slanderer. 
It was a derivative of diabalin, slander, a compound verb literally meaning throw across. Forms dia across and balian throw, where we get the English word ballistic. The Greek work has reached most European languages, for example, French, Italian, German, Dutch, Swedish, Russian. It's even also given English the word diabolical. And indeed, diabolo, a diabolo, a game played by spinning a top. Uh, ballistic, to, to throw across. So literally these people take a word and they just throw it across the bow, across the the broadcast spectrum. They take a word and they create, like you said earlier, Doug, their own narrative which is simply a story. These are storytellers. Yep. Uh, this is what they do for profit. They're whores. They turn a trick, and they get paid very well. And they do not care whether it's true or false. And you know another thing we always say, the media, the media, the media, like it's just this thing. The media has owners. So why don't we discuss the owners of the media? Um, I think it was CBS that was owned by Rothstein. Have you ever heard of the... Uh, I mean, you just go down the line looking them up. It's not a yeah. secret. No. Uh, they are the adversary, and they know God, I guess, better than we do. Yeah. So, yeah. so they produce the pornography, they produce the TV shows, they produce the, the universities, the the uh, seminaries, the all these things. And like you said, before long, we turn into fools. And when you're dealing with a fool, he's easy to manipulate, wouldn't you say? Yeah, absolutely. I'll bet you they've got a nice little group of rabbis that are uh, instructing them on how to emulate Balak and Balaam. Yeah. So anyway, uh, the point here, there were several points, but the word devil means something. It's a description of an action of a verb, a slanderer. Okay? So when I do something wrong, the slander didn't make me do it. He may have arranged it so I believed the lie through slander. But we basically do it to ourselves, don't we? Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's like I was talking about the scriptures in the New Testament, like in Hebrews and so forth, where it says the accuser of our brethren. Well, who is the accuser of our brethren? 
those who reject Christ, those who reject the commands, whether they profess they believe them or any of the rest of the things or they profess that they are the chosen or otherwise, as Christ said, you aren't of mine if you don't do the will of my Father. You, you can't confess that you are mine and not do these things. Look at our own household. We, we don't allow, and I'm going to go back to the analogy of free speech again. We do not allow free speech in our household. Do you allow free speech in your household, Russell? No. Exactly. That speech is restricted. There are conditions on that free speech. So someone say, say to me, well, Doug, we have restrictions too. You can't yell fire in an open, you know, in a crowded theater. That's restriction we have on free speech. My point is, however, the free speech that 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 you know is provided through the Constitution, free speech that is not in line with God, because it does not bar that speech. And that's well, that's that's the center, the adversary, the diabolos, the accuser. Isn't free speech the same thing as free thought? Probably not. Well, what I'm saying here is we don't allow free thought in in this way of airing some idiotic uh, thought they learned at college one day. For instance, there is no God. Um, Free speech. You know, that's kind of an oxymoron. Because um, it's used however you want it to be used. I mean, we can't say the word nigger, can we? Yeah, we can say it. (laughs) (laughs) But we get spanked if we say that in society because it's a horrible word. So where's the free speech? What if there were a hundred people out in a corner in a in a park somewhere hollering nigger, 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 nigger? You think there wouldn't be some violence? And it wouldn't be on the part of the people hollering that word. They're intolerant, aren't they? Well, if you had the same group of people yelling Jesus, 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 nothing would happen, would it? Yeah, well, well, you you could potentially get the same reaction. <laughs> I'm beginning to wonder. I mean, what harm is a statue, a bronze statue? Because it's an ancient boundary that they were told not to move. Hmm. How far back do we want to take this? Take what? Well, that's... Yeah, that's the whole thing. Is that's uh, what is what is right? What is the end game of all this? You see, so so I say, um, what is wrong with tearing down Martin Luther King because his whole thing and speeches and so forth were about the oppression of the black man. So if we're going to erase all vestiges of knowledge about, you know, oppressive uh, behavior uh, upon blacks called slavery in America or whatever, 
then his speech or his monuments and so forth are a reminder of that. So tear it down. And so I look at these guys and I say, hey, game on. Tear them down. Tear them all down. I heard the other day they've got uh, statues of Marx and Lenin at the Presidio in San Diego. Well, Presidio in San Francisco. Oh, San Francisco, yeah. Where where else but San Francisco? Yeah, and I'm sure there's lots of statues of Lenin and Marx in America. They're just not going to talk about it. Russell would, of course, know that that was in San Francisco. I I wouldn't. (laughs) (laughs) Is that next to Nancy Pelosi's house? Well, that's also the home of the great Admiral Nimitz. And he was no faggot. He was a good old Texas boy. Ah. He just decided to, I guess, retire there. Reasons unknown. Well, I understand it has an average mean temperature of 78 degrees. That's that's a pretty good reason. Yeah. It's uh, no air conditioning needed. Or heating, really. So Maybe that maybe that was San Diego, not San Francisco. That might have been San Diego. I could do an internet search on that to clarify that, but I, I think now that I spewed it out, uh, it may have been incorrect, and it may be San Diego that's... Uh, Got the average mean temperature of 78. I don't know about that. So San Francisco's a little bit north of uh, San San Diego. San Diego's a little closer to the Mexican border, correct? Correct. Straight on the border. Yeah. Yeah, so that's what it was. San Diego, I think, got that. Well, we could have a much higher mean temperature if uh, Kim Jong-un Decides to uh, drop one of his toys. Yeah, you know, I was kind of wondering if if maybe we couldn't encourage Kim Jong Un to, you know, hit a few select cities like, you know, Los Angeles, New York, San Francisco, uh, Chicago, um, and just go ahead. I read, and take... I read a report this morning that he actually um, lit off a nuke last night, and USGS isn't isn't um, reporting it. Oh, well, that's interesting because the only only thing they reported breathlessly this morning, from what I understand, is uh, Andrea Mitchell uh, uh, heard an audio soundbite on uh, on the radio this morning going into town, I think it was, where she uh, was claiming that uh, that, uh, ostensibly Kim Jong-un said that uh, he backed off on his little uh, his little statement a little bit, indicating that uh, that he wasn't he wasn't gonna gonna do anything if if we we temper our involvement in the Korean Peninsula or something. But she went on the air and said that uh, on the news clip that that the generals are not saying that. Uh, 
that that's the case. So it was being peddled that he was backing off on his hardline, you know, stance towards U.S., but she was indicating the generals aren't doing that. Now, Rich tells us that perhaps they indeed fired something off, so it could be more false media just to uh, appease the masses into thinking that, okay, the tensions have subsided and and we've got another week or two for reprieve here or something, you know. Take us off our mark so that, you know, they can go ahead and do their dirty work and create their dirty bomb in America here somewhere and then claim it was all, you know, uh, Korea so we could go to war. We are kind of running out of people to go to war with, aren't we? Yeah. I don't know. Aren't there 109 countries? There must be some people that got waiting on their list. Yeah, but you you got to go to war with somebody that at least has some some ability to fight. So no, you know, just, all we got to do is have the ability. You have the ability to steal something from them. Yeah, but you know what I mean is you you can't just go ahead and and hit you know uh, some you know some some tiny little country, you, you got to at least make out like they're trying to hurt you. Uh, no, look what they did to the, Libya, right? Right. I mean, that seems to be the narrative is that, you know, it's there's got to be a boogeyman in there somewhere, or, you know, a uh, Saddam or a, uh, what's his name, Osama bin Laden, or there's got to be somebody in there somewhere that... Gaddafi uh, well, had a pile of gold, and that's what they did is they went, went in and bombed his country and ripped him off. Got his gold, huh? Yeah. Hey, I want to read another definition here. All right. Uh, S-A-T-A-N. Hebrew word for adversary. Now, now listen to this. That's what the word means. Now, it goes on to say the grand adversary of man. The devil, we've already talked about the Diablo, or the prince of darkness, or the chief of the fallen angels. So we started out with a definition and adversary. Then we started ascribing things that have nothing to do with the word Satan. And wouldn't Satan, if he was the grand adversary, wouldn't he be the grand adversary of God? Well, yeah. He is. Just just, just as Hebrews 2.14 said of Paul, Paul said, For as much then, writes, uh, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he, that it meaning Christ, also himself took part of the same, that through death he might destroy that which had the power of death, that is, the accuser. Absolutely. See, that, that, is the, that is what Christ did. Christ showed that any act of accusation against the Creator that dispels this creator as exactly what he is and as exactly as he promised he was to his people. Any act of so doing was an act of accusation against God. 
and it will bring upon you sure and certain death. Jesus Christ, it says, he took all the flesh, part of the same, that through death he might destroy that which the power of death, that is the accuser. Hebrews 2.14. So, it, you know, I was thinking about this on the way home too, Russell and, and Rich and, and Jeremiah and, and True and, and guest number four. Not only we have, Russell, what you're giving us is you're giving us a true definition of a word, which also carried a theological uh, connotation. And the the theological connotation is something that is a preconceived notion and belief. And the preconceived notions and beliefs, they are so powerful. I mean, Rich could attest to it in Catholicism, uh, having once, you know, been a Catholic, uh, seeing the dogma, the theology that is peddled and the way that it is and the conditioning that takes place and how people, um, therefore, live their lives and react and interact, if you will, with the, the, the clerical hierarchy. And that's all based upon those fundamental preconceived beliefs, notions, ideas, and so forth. And when you come to them and you, you actually bring something to them, which, you know, Rich, you probably know from things that were first brought to you that brought you around to understanding and seeing uh, whatever you saw in Catholicism that was incorrect, that that brought you away from from that, brought us away from Lutheranism, brought anybody else away from baptism, Baptist uh, 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 theological teachings and so forth. Um, we're steeped in these preconceived notions and, by, and beliefs. And once we take the cover off of that, it's like Pastor Peter said, you know, you've got that cognitive dissonance that's going to come in, and it's a rare individual that gets over that cognitive di- dissonance accepts his wrong or his error and and moves in the direction in aligned with the truth. Now, how's this for uh, understanding? The word adversary comes from the Latin word adversus, adversum, opposed to. Okay, against, opposite. Uh, So think of Cain. Uh, Think of uh, the Edom, Esau Edom. They were opposed to God's way, weren't they? Yeah. So you remember when Pastor Peter did his sermon on the the evil the man of destruction. Yeah. Remember him saying it's it's says man, but it's alluding to a 
root a like a seed like a genetic root of evil of adversaries of opposites these people are opposites of what we are or believe and therefore that enmity that in that enmity that was that was foretold back in the garden this is what we're still battling to this day and that yep that non-existence between her seed and his seed and when you see those nitwits doing stuff on TV it's inexplicable it's like they're insane. Kicking a bronze statue with tennis shoes? <laughs> That's insanity. Literally mindless. That's like kicking a concrete block with with the uh, flip-flops on. You're going to damage your foot. It's senseless. So, yeah. anyway, um, just a thought there. Uh, just a thought. And you said it when you, when you're growing up from birth and you're told this and that and this and that and this and that, somebody comes along and goes, well, look at it this way. And you go, wow, I never really thought of it that way, but that makes sense. What does that mean? That means that it it jihaws in your mind. It's comprehensible. It's an answer to the question, isn't it, Doug? Yeah. And therefore, um, you you kind of go. What's the word? Cognitive dissonance. You used earlier. Right. Cognitive. The brain. Dissonance. The the brain rattles. Dissonance. It just kind of shakes for a minute because you're challenging it. This preconceived notion of the boogeyman. We've all been taught about the boogeyman. Yeah, you know, and it just brings me back to Paul, where Paul continues to tell us that, you know, the great foe of the Spirit of God is our flesh, you know, and he he gives that that critical information there in Romans where he says, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. And he tells us about how, you know, he would that he does not, but he does because it's the flesh. It's, so what, he, what, what purpose does that flesh serve? Why were we created with it? It's got to have a purpose. Well, it's a it's a nat, it's a natural creation of the image of God, as as we've talked about before. We're made in that image. God knows of good. He knows of evil. He 
it made us in that image. So it therefore follows that we would have that same nature. The so same nature of God. The same nature of God. So well, he has the flesh. So well he has that nature. We're we're in that nature. A nature right. which a nature which understands good, a nature which understands evil. We we started out talking this conversation tonight, this fellowship about Psalms one oh seven, where we talk about God's wrath and his infinite mercy. Well, there is good and evil. You know, some may not like to call it that, but mm-hmm. it, what would you call God's wrath against you? You know, it it's not fun. Uh, you know, I, it's, I would call him one, that word evil is to mean to fail or fall. He knocks you off your high horse. Exactly. How does he do that? He sets about circumstances, doesn't he? Like yes. the like the uh, the prophet, the good prophet and the bad prophet. Right. He tested the one prophet, didn't he? Well, as we know, yeah. I mean, what you're alluding to is uh, Scripture tells us that God was a Satan, at least according to the translation. And of course, if the proper word would have been translated adversary there, it would have been clear that that God stood as a Satan against David to number Israel. That's clearly what the scripture conveys. Well, I'll I'll go ahead and throw this out there for anybody that cares about the truth, which I'm hoping that the three of us, four of us do. Jesus Christ was the light bearer. Yes. He was the illuminated one. Yes. And how how this got turned into Lucifer, I have no idea. Well, sure you do. Sure you do. Yeah. Yeah, you've already expounded upon it. It's done by deception and slander. It's it's done for the purpose to uh, to to give you an escape for the way you uh, you violate God. You know, Christ said something about, I forget exactly how it was said, but paraphrasing, you know, I believe it was Christ, but he said that when you come against his people, it's like sticking your finger in his eye. You guys mm-hmm. kind of remember the scripture I'm talking about? Yeah, I and, remember. You know, the eye is one of your most sensitive members. You know, when you get stuck in the eye, so... It hurts. Right, and so... That's what God is saying to us. When you come against the people that I have chosen to be the light to the world, that I have chosen to be my kingdom people, that to bring righteousness to the the creation and to bring it in line with my will, I have commissioned a people because you you, you seem to be incapable of, of getting there on your own. So I've commissioned a people not for their pride or their glory or anything else, but to work this process through. And when you come against these people who I am commissioning to work this process through, it's like you're sticking your finger in my eye. And that always has struck me and, and been kind of indelible in my mind that 
this is what God feels every day when he sees these accusers, just as these people came out and accused Trump of being racist, bigoted, you know, the whole line of crap. Is It's like sticking him in his eye because he, he, he's none of those things, but that's the accusation. And, and so, and so in the Garden of Eden, you have this entity telling Eve that you, once you do this act, you become the light bearer, so to speak. You become God. Am I right or wrong here? What was his promise? He said, you'll uh, you'll be enlightened, right? Yep. And, and now what are they teaching? Most of the universities, that the answer is in mankind, right? Right. Isn't that what uh, Lenin, or not as much Lenin as Hegel and Marx and the Judaism, yep. the Talmud? Proclaim that the answers are within. That's exactly it. And anything contrary to that is we can't tolerate. And it's like um, it's like we're sticking a finger in their God's eye too, isn't it? This idea of uh, of uh, humanism, they just go berserk. I mean, the pictures I saw were of nutcases, and their choice of words just is unbelievable because 95% of the people in the United States don't even know what Nazi stands for. Well, it's like it's the, like your your special needs students, all of them, right. Are they on uh, this? Is this the generation raised on Ritalin? Well, <laughs> you know, I heard a statistic the other day that 30% of those, uh, what was it, uh, 12 to 25 or something like that? Um, now, let's see, when was the statistic done? Anyhow, 30 30% of them, it's a pediatrician statistic, 30% of those individuals have been on some form of psychotropic drug, um, have been on some form of psychotropic drug in their, in their, in their post-pre-adolescent and post-adolescent uh, years. 30%. Wow. That, that, that's a fairly significant number. That means that we have a lot of relatively unhinged young people who are really not capable of making proper decisions. But again, just as we're talking about, the accusers, what are they doing? As Rich pointed out, Balak and Bala. So they take the lowest form or the lowest class form, if you will, unable to articulate a thought, et cetera, and they're the ones who are most highly... Um, you know, 
what do you want to say, I guess energized to take up a cause, if you will, and they take it up without proper understanding or without proper guidance, and so therefore they stand in a protest like this and, and they're, they're ill-equipped to even articulate what it is that they are about. And you'll find that the same way on the left. You get some of those people in those groups and you try to engage a conversation, they can't engage a conversation. All they can do is peddle the, the doctrine that, that's been you know, shoveled at them mm-hmm. through the formative years of their education life. Uh, yeah, I keep talking. I'm going to read you something else. I find it. I guess uh, I guess I'll leave that up to Rich to do some talking then. So, what are you going to read? Uh, I'm, uh, uh, I'm going to read. I'm going to. I'm doing some research. So, Rich, you just in Latin. Oh, you're going to read in Latin? Oh, good. No, I'm going to read in German. But I said. <laughs> You enlighten me while I'm looking this up. In honor of the Nazi white supremacists, we're going to read in German tonight. (laughs) I want to, well, while you're doing that, um, I want to read this one paragraph out of uh, John chapter 8, verse 3. Um, where they brought the woman caught in the act of adultery and uh, and of their accusation basically, you know, uh, of her in front of Christ and tempting, tempting God with us. That's what Emmanuel means, God with us, Christ, God with us. Uh, uh, they tempted him to, to, to basically cast a stone at her. And of course, they never brought they never brought the other party. So these guys claim to be following the law and claim to be knowledgeable of the law, but this is the this is the basically the part I was going to read. Uh, 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 this is in verse thirteen. So it starts in John chapter eight. You get to verse thirteen. It says, uh, they said to Jesus, thou bearest record, being a witness of thyself, thy record is not true. So, in that instance, they were accusing him of a false witness. And I think that's missed by a lot of people because um, was he was speaking true, but there again is the evidence of the false accuser and the accuser against our brethren. Was Jesus Christ not of our brethren? Absolutely was. Continue. All right. Um, Uh, well, and again, I guess the point that I, you know, was also going to make there is that 
you see this as the accuser. These people are accusing Christ, and so it kind of makes it very clear. I don't shouldn't say kind of. I think it does make it pretty clear um, why Jesus would then say to them, you are of your father, and the word is translated devil, which you pointed out again is accuser, diabolos. And um, so it says, you know, you're of the fa- of your father, the accuser. Well, who was the accuser of Cain? Was it not Abel? He was a witness against Abel. Uh, we get a little bit of an understanding of that from the book of Jasher uh, regarding the uh, the offering and how that transpired and how Cain came against his brother Abel in the field and and slew him. And you know this is this is that accuser, I guess is the way I'm trying to to you know, to reference how that word used properly in there you know gives you the understanding that should rightly be achieved there. Um, so anyhow, I just kind of flipped over there to John chapter eight on that particular one, but uh, let's uh let's go through. Uh, this part of Psalms 107, um, you know, another thing, how all of these deliverances from God, you know, uh, delivering us from transgression, here in verses 23 through 32, they that go down to the sea in ships that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commands and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heaven. They go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. He's talking about the seafarers. They get to witness this awesome power and the deliverance that they feel every time they are delivered out of the hands of the, quote, sea. But they, God is trying to convey, and David is trying to convey in this psalm that 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 deliverance is of the Lord. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man on are at their wits' end. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and He brings them out of their distresses. He makes the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still. Then are they glad because they be quiet. So he brings them unto their desired haven. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. Okay. Uh, All right. Uh, are you ready? Are you ready for some German? I'm ready. I'm ready for the German lesson this evening. Go ahead. Okay. The word is N A Z I. It is a. What do you call it when you pull them together? Con, conjunction. Uh, con, conjunction, right? Not what they right. call it. Yeah, conjunction. 
Okay. But they ran it all under one word because you know Germans like big long words. National Socialist. Okay. Now, that's pretty plain. I mean, I had to look into a lot of German books to find this. National Socialist. N-A-Z-I-S-M-U-S. The Z-I is from social, uh, socialist. The N-A is from national. Okay, that doesn't... If you know anything about a socialist, you know they're not right-wing conservative Republicans. Yeah. <laughs> no, they're not. So... So who do we know the biggest socialist ever elected to other than Roosevelt is Barack Obama. He's the one that wants to give away other people's money to people that don't work. So would this be unfair to say Nazi is a mischaracterization? And actually, he's a Nazi. I mean, where am I? Where am I wrong here? Wouldn't Obama no, be called a Nazi? You're, no, you're you're not. You're not going wrong at all. But but that's preconceived notions and beliefs, isn't it? Yeah, it's like Lucifer. It's a oh. preconceived belief of what a Nazi means, what the terminology means, and yeah, the, the adversary brings darkness, doesn't he? Yes. Absolutely zero light. Deceptive, deception, and darkness. I would agree with that 100%. Okay, let the record show that I had to go find a German book because all my English ones didn't want to talk about it. Didn't, didn't want to convey the, convey the meanings of the words. No, they wanted it to remain to be this dark, dark, Evil Confederate soldier. They're yes. trying to turn the Confederate soldier into a national socialist from Germany. And and it comes right it comes right back to your point about those who are out there. They don't even understand their own movement. No. Or the or what they believe is their cause. Exactly. Love, not hate. Who is creating hate? Exactly. And and you know to turn those words around on these on these scribes and show those words for what they are. Would to God that this president Trump, with his tenacity to fight, uh, with the fight of uh, of a New Yorker, uh, I guess uh, that's the way I'll interpret him. Um, would to God that he actually could speak. I mean, I I had a hard time disagreeing with Casey, our boy, when he said it'd be nice if the guy didn't talk like a four year old. And and yeah. sometimes I don't understand uh, how he could go as far in business uh, as he has. Uh, being unable to really articulate a a real good sentence, but you know um, we've all got our faults. 
you know. Yeah. So we sure do. My fault is too many words. Uh, so <laughs> you know. Yeah, I heard an interesting thing today. They said that uh, in World, in uh, the Civil War, the Democrats were the ones that were from the South, and they were the ones that wanted to uh, to continue on with slavery. So they said actually what they were trying to do is tear down a statue to a Democrat. Democrats are trying to tear down a statue to a Democrat. Well, a Democrat. Well, see, see, that again is the whole thing that I just said, is that those guys don't even understand what caused their fighting either because they don't really have any historical context. Uh, did you ever go see Dinesh D'Souza's movie? Uh, uh, does anybody know the name of it? Um, Which uh, one? Uh, the the one on the slavery issue. It was the one he got after he got out of prison because they put him in for a false Is donation. That, that's the one about Hillary? Yeah, yeah. Um, Remember the Hillary's name of that? America? Yeah, Hillary's America. Is that what it was? That was yeah. the title, Jeremiah? Did you go to that with us, with Mom and I? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, we had some free movie tickets, uh, gifted to us, and so that movie was coming out about that time. So, Rich, I take it you never saw that movie. No, I didn't see it. Well, I didn't. Uh, it, it's, it's worth it. it. It's worth it if it's uh, if it's a, uh, what do you call it, a uh, Netflix or something, uh, which it probably is. Uh, you might even find it online, probably. Um, uh, I saw it the Washington does. What's that? I saw Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Okay, well, I don't know what that one was, but the Dinesh That's about D'Souza. Donald Trump. Okay, all right, I didn't see That's that one. So, was that Hillary right. Clinton's America? Is that the one? Yeah, yeah, all right, yeah. That's what it is. That's what Jeremiah said. So, so what it is is he documents a lot of the stuff about the actual KKK, the Ku Klux Klan and who the founders and the premier members of that were all Democrats. So your point, Rich, tonight is is a classic thing is, you know, you Democrats, you want to tear down all this stuff. Okay, let's tear it down because, you know, the thing is, you don't even know what you're tearing down because you have to, you have to get rid of your whole Democratic Party because they were the proponents of slavery. They were the key people involved in in the slave trade, along with their Jewish counterparts. Um, you know the whole gamut, and so that movie is pretty good. It, uh, um, I think he probably toned it down a little bit. Uh, his other movie, I can't remember the name of that one, before he got slapped with an improper, you know, campaign donation and and was found guilty and had to go spend six months in the Hooskow. But um, I think it was just uh, called Obama's America. Oh, was that what it was? Obama's America. Yeah. Well, um, it he only has two movies, as I recall. One was one that was done, you know, ten, fifteen years ago or thereabouts, and the other one was done here in the last what six years, Jeremiah? Five. Um. 
Um, Obama's America was done in 2012, and Hillary's America was done last year. Yes. Oh, Hillary's America? Well, we didn't see the one from last year, so it's not Hillary's America, uh, Rich. Yeah, it uh, is. Huh? It you is said that Hillary's You said that came out last year. We didn't go see it last year, did we? It's been a year and a half, so it's entirely possible. Oh, how old were you then? Um, 15. So you think you were, we took you to it, uh, just here in the last couple of years then? Uh, all right, yeah. yeah, maybe it was Hillary's America. I guess it was right before the election, wasn't it, Jeremiah? Uh, yeah. That was like before the election. Yeah, like a year out. So yeah, that's probably about right. Hillary's America, Rich. But anyhow, you know, he, uh, he uh you know he's a he's a foreigner he's an indian um from india um, uh, I'm trying to think of one of the other things that's recently been coming out about Indians in america um, what were we uh do you do you recall jeremiah anything about Indians uh, here recently and how it's being it's being uh, finally coming out that Indians are not the true Native Americans. Oh, I know what it was. It was uh, it was something else that uh, I think I might have come across at Betty's, and uh, it was a book, and I've got it probably somewhere, or Russell might have it down there, and all those that I brought over there. Um, but it kind of chronicles our people being in America. Um, long before uh, any, quote, Native Americans, and that, in fact, many of these people who are, quote, Native Americans, they're actually of Norse stock and stuff like that, and um, only a true Indian, meaning from India, could actually be a Native Indian. The fact that these individuals clothed themselves as Indians and followed Indian customs and so forth has nothing to do with the original people uh, that came to these continent to this continent. Our historical, I mean, it goes F. E. Haberman, his books on America's you know roots here, um, some of the others, and so it was just kind of refreshing that I actually came across some of that here recently and just kind of perused it. And just kind of, you know, said to myself again, yeah, it's another deception. Hey, let's, a- let's, yeah, let's think of this. Columbus takes off. It, he's a complete idiot, right? He's in the ship. Because he's bound to have seen a map before. And India's way, way, way around uh, Africa, isn't it? So he sets sail, and he thinks that he's going due west, I guess, and runs into the Bahamas or some some of those islands. And so he sees somebody. Yeah, he's up in the Caribbean. Okay, he sees somebody and goes, Indians! We're in India, aren't we? That story doesn't add up for me. It never did. 
I mean, why wouldn't he say Chinese people? I mean, he, he had to know he wasn't in India. I mean, the boat would have had to take a major journey southward, wouldn't it? Well, yeah, he'd have had to go clear around the the okay. South American South American continent in order to yeah. end up there. But or he, was, he hits the Caribbean and goes, "You're all Indian. We're coming aboard." Yeah, yeah. It doesn't add up. And let's let's face this. Let's be truthful. They're not. Who was there recording the history before the Indians? The the a Native American, excuse me. Well, you know, it was somebody's land before it was theirs, and it was somebody's before it was theirs, and it was somebody's before it was theirs. Well, here's here's the understanding that we glean from our our inheritance that book by uh, uh, I forget his name. Uh, anyhow. Uh, the Bronze Age is the key. See, the Bronze Age required what was what is bronze? Tin and uh, copper. Uh, tin and copper. Well, the tin and the copper was coming out of the North American continent, and the Bronze Age actually they have archaeological findings in America that the Bronze Age is here. So their theories about what the Bronze Age was in, in years past is incorrect in, me, in many respects, and so they're having to rethink the Bronze Age now that they have discovered Bronze Age artifacts on the North American continent. You talking about and, that book, America B.C.? Yeah, America B.C. There's another one, our, our hidden... Uh, uh, I remember the cover is kind of a unique cover. It looks kind of scattery on our hidden inheritance or something like that. I think it is. But anyhow, just just kind of going through some of those books again. And Betty has uh, she had a few books there about the uh, history of of uh, New Mexico. And in those books, it writes of people being in New Mexico, um, I don't know whether you guys know it, but there's um, there's a, a city, Los Alamos or Los something, Los Los Lunas, which is between Albuquerque and Socorro. And um, so I've gone through Los Lunas, and in Los Lunas is the is a a rock sculpture that is dated to the. Um, uh, Oh, what's the date? Um, Is that the one that goes to the Romans? Yeah. Huh? It, it goes to a very intellectual people that built that city. The rocks are meticulously put together. Well, well, the rock I'm talking about is the ten, the the rock has an inscription of the Ten Commandments. Yeah. Well, there's and, much of the city somewhere down there built by little bitty rocks, and it's still intact except that there's no roof. Yeah, I, 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 that's not what I'm referring to. I'm referring to, I'm referring to basically the law of God, which uh-huh. was given to, which was given to whom, on the Ten Commandments, and those Ten Commandments being inscribed on, on, 
on on a stone that would not have been ever shipped here in any in any way, shape, or form, and it's been carbon dated to have existed on this uh, North American continent. Um, I think four or five thousand years, as I understood it, before Columbus ever ever arrived here. But that doesn't fit the story. That doesn't fit the story, the narrative. It does not fit the preconceived doctrination that's that's been peddled out here. Mm-hmm. And so you go back to all this stuff, and you it's like, okay, well, who benefited by telling people that came to America that Columbus discovered America? You know, who benefited from that? I mean, you know, so you just keep going down the line and it's just like this thing going on in Charlottesville. I said to my wife, it's the first thing I said, all you have to do before you even start any further thought is ask yourself the question, who benefits? Uh-huh. And when you, when you think about who benefits under this kind of a situation being, you know, uh, developing in North in Virginia, I should say, yeah, you you ask yourself the question, who benefits? And you have the answer right there as to why it is done, as to why it went out of control, as to why police officers weren't ready to act, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Who benefits? I just thought Doug, how many people do you think died on that day in the world? Let's say a hundred. All over the world, that day at 3 o'clock or whenever that happened, probably 100 people died. So let's start the newscast. 100 people died today as the the riot in, uh, what was the name of the town? Charlottesville. Charlottesville. Uh, Virginia continued. See how that works? There was one person run over by a car. What do we know about that guy? We haven't heard one word about him, have we? Where did he go to school? Who's buttering his bread? Have you heard anything about him? Heard he was a Bernie supporter. He's got a pass, doesn't he, Rich? You don't hear much about him, do you? They didn't put Bernie supporter runs over kids in Charlottesville, Virginia, did they? <laughs> that wouldn't work, would it? No, it wouldn't fit. That would, that would have changed everything because Donald Trump would have had to condemn Bernie supporters. <laughs> oh, boy. But it is comical, isn't it? I mean, you know, when you have the eyes to see, I mean, it, it's very frustrating, obviously, but um, it 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 certainly is um, it certainly is comical when you sit back and look at it. But boy, what it is! What a destruction you, it is! You know what they're doing, Doug? They are making this. They're winding this dynamite. Tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter, and eventually, when it blows, it's going to be horrible, horrible for these people that have lied and lied over the years and lied. Nobody's talking about the great 
society that Lyndon Johnson passed his legislation for the where everything's going to be equal. Do you hear much about that failed policy? No. Or about Mr. Barack Obama's health care that's a joke. Nobody's talking about that joke except these right-wing Nazis. That's what they're calling you if you say, well, that wasn't health care. That was, that was socialized medicine. That was outright robbery. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, I'm pilfering, thinking, pilfering, uh, pilfering in the name of healthcare. Yeah. What did uh, what did Bastiat call it? Uh, legal theft or legal plunder? plunder. Yeah. How yeah. do you recognize? How do you recognize legal plunder? See who benefits at the yeah. end. Of- of another. Can, can you imagine sending a bill in there and somebody saying what's in it and somebody saying we'll pass it and then we'll read it? Uh, yeah. But they did it, didn't they? They did it and bragged about it. And they're fighting for it. Tooth and nail. I dare say we still don't know what's in the bill. Well, no, but, you know, I did a message that uh, I don't know if I archived it from uh, onto the talk show here, but I did do a healthcare message, and I, I went through, oh, I don't know, I think it was maybe 100 pages of it, and mm-hmm. there's a there's a real estate tax in there, Russell. When you go to sell your house, yeah. um, there's a tax in there for the healthcare. And you know how all these prices spiked at the time of the great uh, financial debacle, which was also uh, a precursor to the to the precursor to the passing of the health care bill. So, so you see, everything that's in there is you. You wonder why this price is 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 quite a bit higher, forty percent, or um, just today. Just today, I was thinking of something. Um, but you've, you've looked at the prices on many things that you shop for and everything else. And I'm not just talking about food items. I'm talking about, you know, um, maintenance staples or things of that nature that you use around your house to fix this or fix that or whatever. And you know something used to be, uh, you know, around X number of dollars or whatever. Instead of it being $3, it's, it's now $4.50. And you're, you're kind of scratching your head and asking yourself, now, how did it, you know, wh- what happened that made this particular item go from three dollars to four and a half in you know eight years' time or whatever. Well, so there are little taxes. Oh, for example, that's what I was thinking about today. I went through and uh, picked up some things at the store, and I saw sugar was still like a dollar seventy nine. Well, you see, sugar is sinful in the socialist playbook. Um, um, so sugar, of course needs to have a little bit of a tax on it. And so these these companies that that make products or manufacture products which are deemed to be quote unhealthful, which are going to cause the healthcare costs to go up, we're going to have a little tax on that. And if you if you have a chemical that that you use or something like that, um, that chemical could have health consequences. So of course we're going to tax that. But you see, we're we're taxing the items 
but we really don't eliminate the actual issue of what it is, the problem that it does in terms of our health. Wouldn't it be better to eliminate the item or the product which creates a health issue? But no, we it's better for us just to tax it because we profit from it, meaning we the government. This is how we stay in power. This is how we do things. This is how we control economics, just as I've, uh, you know, pastors talked about. And I, I know I've got a message on Zondervan's Pictorial Dictionary, of page 274 or something seems to ring in my head, where it shows that uh, the bales were those uh, entities that were involved in the economic pulse of the day, pure and simple. Nothing's changed under the sun. Well, Doug, um, you were accused of something a couple of years ago. Do uh, you remember what you were accused of by a uh, Chris, supposedly Christian man? Yeah, well, there there were a number of them. Um, <laughs> yeah, the worst one. Well, uh, he called you a, he asked, are you one of them there provocateurs? Yep, yep. Now, now, what do you think of when you think of a provocateur? Someone who provokes. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. So, so let me tell you, both of you guys on here, and I'll just, I'm, I'm standing firm and I'm sticking to it. Donald Trump provoked all through his uh, ascension to the White House. Yep. Would you not agree? Yep. yep. Now, now, nowhere in that time did he ever say the word repeal and replace Obamacare until the day he was elected, and then it morphed overnight. And it became repeal and replace. Now, you keep an eye on this guy, and you attach meaning to words, and yeah, he's New York City tough, I guess. He's New York City compromised. He's New York City Jew smart. He's New York City Jew and the family smart. Yep. So just keep an eye on the guy and attach meaning to his words. And I think he is nothing more than a modern-day provocateur or what's the guy that tooted the flute and led the people to their grave? Pied Piper? Yeah. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you the alternative was better. I'm just telling you Comrade A or Comrade B, good cop, bad cop. What's changed? One Supreme Court justice that hadn't ruled on anything yet. Right? Right. I think he did rule on something. Okay, I think he did too. Was it significant? I forgot what it was. So. Okay, so it wasn't anything to do with transsexuals or gay marriage or abortion. Or, it, might been, it might have been something like gay well, and it probably went to their advantage because you don't dare, dare, dare introduce a negative with a gay anymore. That's 
I think it was negative on him. I think it was. I do think it was a negative thing. Well, we shall see. We shall see. I'm not grumbling. I'm telling you. Repeal and replace didn't exist before November. And that's a substantial thing. That's no little thing. It's a huge thing. And and somebody wrote a bill, and it was quite simple. It was re, uh, repeal the Obama Act. It was like two sentences, this, this medical thing. And it didn't get a sniff the time of day. No, where's, uh, where's all those guys that were uh, running against Donald Trump? Where's uh, Ted? Why wasn't Ted out in the forefront? You know, where are where is the integrity? They stuffed the balance of their campaign money in their pockets and they're gone away. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, I'm uh, I'm at the point where I'm going to have to say goodnight, guys. Uh, One of the things about... when when did Wikipedia stop putting the religion of the uh, Supreme Court nominees on the uh, uh, on their Wikipedia thing? I well, just, they do they do it at their discretion. Yeah. Okay. So as I understand, this Gorsuch was he a uh, Protestant? Yeah, I thought he was a Catholic, but I don't know. For some reason, I was thinking that this was going to be the first Protestant back on the bench. Um, that would be interesting to yeah, find I think out. He was, I think he is a Protestant. I think so. But looking at the Wikipedia, it doesn't say anything about him. Uh, here's uh, here's what it says. Uh, uh, Neil Gorsuch's first decision on Supreme Court was to let... Just a moment, it's loading... <clears throat> was to let a man be killed. That's that's the headline. Uh, it's uh, it's from a, a news group called Think Progress. Thursday evening, Neil Gorsuch, who occupies the seat of the Supreme Court Senate Republican held for a, for a year, cast his first public vote since his ascension to the high court. Hours later, a man was killed because of Gorsuch's vote. The case underlying that vote, McGee versus Hutchinson, involved eight inmates that Arkansas hopes to execute in 11 days. As Justice Stevens Breyer explains in a dissenting opinion, the reason the state decided to proceed with these eight executions is that the use by date of the state's execution drug is about to expire. In recent years, state death chambers have struggled. So apparently it was about a death penalty case and uh, they needed to carry forth the execution because the execution drug was about to expire. Uh, and so, of course, praise uh, the Lord for that. So that's that's what's been going on in the Supreme Court since he was elected, right? Yeah. We got one take there. That's bound to have been yeah. several months. If nothing else, yeah, they're way overpaid. Yeah. 
There should be hundreds of cases. They don't take hundreds of cases, though. They should, though. They should. They should be busy every day just like you and me and Doug. Well, you know, be careful what you pray for or be careful what you wish for. Yeah, I know. Uh, so Sometimes it's better off if they're asleep. Yeah. Well, let's uh, close in prayer. I know it's getting late for you guys. So, Heavenly Father, I do thank you for this opportunity of time to fellowship. Father, we do thank you for the promise that you've given us, which you said wherever two or more are gathered in your name, you're there in the midst. And so we thank you for that. We thank you for guiding our thoughts, having the Spirit come in and dwell with us to be about our Father's business, to think on him and his ways and his will. Father, we continue to put our leaders before you in prayer, asking that you would hear our cries and our pleas for the oppression to be lifted. Father, we know that our sins have been lifted up to your nostrils and is a putrid smell. Father, we ask your forgiveness. We seek it. Lord, we say those that refuse you and neglect, desire not to be ruled over you, deal with them. Deal with them now, Lord. Let them be cast asunder right now, cast out of the way. Let the righteous shine forth and go about our Father's business. We ask this in the blessed holy name of the Lord Jesus Christ as we seek your kingdom here in your creation. Amen. 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 Good night. Good night. night. All right. Well, good night, you guys, uh, King family. And uh, guest guest number four. Good night. Uh, Would appreciate it. Uh, Yeah, you just signed off. Uh, I'm looking around. Uh, You still there, West Texas? Yeah. I wonder who he was. Well, you know, quite possibly it's Jules. Uh, or somebody else, but, uh, you know, I'm looking around for a tool to uh, dump these guys that won't, don't have the decency to, um, you know, if you're going to log on on a computer, um, you can download the chat. It's not a high-powered program or anything, and uh, you can come to the table and at least introduce yourself and, uh and uh, show your face, so to speak. Well, maybe uh, you ought to force the card, Doug. Identify yourself or you're getting turned off. Well, see, that's what I'm looking for. I don't have an actual tool to turn them off. That's I, I don't see it. I can, I can mute them. I can block them from chat. Um, but I can't dump the... Uh, and it is something that I, I need to check on because I really don't know why... They don't give us the ability to do that on the top, on the uh, on the uh, on the other one we were using. I did have the power to uh, to dump somebody uh, that was on because mm-hmm. uh, I, I could just dump that call. So I'll, I'll have to send them an email and ask them if there isn't a way to to dump a a guest um, and see, see if they can open up a tool to be able to do it. So. All right. All right, well, I'll, I won't keep you, so 
Have a good evening, you guys. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.